Good morning. Welcome to St. Paul's, and a special welcome to our visitors who are worshiping with us today. If you were to go to the temple in Jerusalem at Jesus' time, you would have been amazed. That structure, that building, everything that went on there, it looked pretty impressive. But that's not what Jesus thought when he went to the temple at his time. People had turned worship into a, a ruin. So Jesus drove out their foolishness, turned things upside down. And that's what we ask of Jesus today. Because if worship were left to us, we would wreck it all. Jesus, take away our foolishness by your cross today and help us to worship you with wisdom. And so along those lines, we'll follow along with the order of service as it's printed out for you in your worship folder and stand for the gathering right on God's word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers. How sweet are your words to my taste. righteousness. Yet so often we have despised God's word and failed to gladly hear and learn it. For this and all our sins, we bow before God and humbly ask his forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins 
and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God gave his word so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The scriptures testify about Jesus, who lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross to pay for all your sins, and rose again to assure you of your salvation. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. do anything that is good without you, may by your help be enabled to live according to your will. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. Our first lesson today, taken from Exodus chapter 20, God gives us the Ten Commandments, one of the ways that he he looks for us to obey him, but we would make a, a ruin of this. Either we end up shaving things down in the Ten Commandments so that we think we can actually keep them, or we twist them into something that we think, if we obey them, we can keep them, and that's how God will love us and save us. But God exchanges our foolishness for his wisdom here and reminds us, especially in the opening verses, that he is the God who saved us. These commands are ways that we can follow him and show our thanks to him. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, 
for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord.
Our second lesson today, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if we were to have looked at the Corinthian congregation's worship from the outside, we could very well say that it was in shambles. Uh, They were divided among each other. There was disorder in their worship, all kinds of people speaking up at different times. There was drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. The Lord needed to change things around, shake things up, and exchange their foolishness for his wisdom. These words will serve as the basis for our sermon today. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The word of the Lord. Continue with our next hymn.
please stand in honor of the gospel. The gospel for today is from John chapter 2. The Jews had made the temple worship all about their business, and it was big business. But Jesus came in and said, no, this, this is about my business. This body will be torn down, and I will raise it up again on the third day. That's what everything in the temple was intended to point toward. Jesus' business of our salvation. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Please be seated for our hymn of the day.
mercy and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from Christ crucified who is our strength and our wisdom. Amen. God's word in the sermon from 1 Corinthians 1. Let us pray. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Amen. What do you look for in a church? There are all kinds of things that people look for in a church. A convenient location, programs for children, good worship music, opportunities to serve, a welcoming atmosphere, close family ties, and friendships that can be forged. So many different things that people look for in a church. Yet, according to many surveys, what most people consider most important in a church is the preaching. Good preaching. And God would actually agree that preaching, good preaching, is of the utmost importance for a church. It would be utterly foolish to exchange good preaching for anything else. It's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. It's the difference between weakness and strength. The difference between condemnation and salvation itself. And so we will not shy away from it. We won't be ashamed of good preaching. We will support it. We will look for it. We will do everything that we can to keep it and hang on to it. We preach Christ crucified. Because it's God's wisdom and it's God's power. And God, he is smarter. And he is stronger. Paul, as he traveled around the Mediterranean, everywhere he went, throughout Asia Minor and Greece and Rome and beyond, he preached Christ crucified, the message of the cross, that the one and only Son of God took on human flesh and allowed himself to be betrayed and tried, beaten and bloodied, condemned and crucified for us and for the world. That was a painful and a slow death, though. That's something that most people, they, they don't want to think about. That was what seemed to most people a humiliating defeat. And most people don't see much wisdom in following a loser. What a waste. All of that talent, Jesus, as he preached and as he went around doing miracles and then just to end at the cross. What seemed to so many people, wouldn't it be more intelligent to look for someone who's still here, who, who didn't ever die, someone who can do so much more good for this world here and now among us. What a waste, the cross. And so, as Paul went around preaching Christ crucified, many people did receive the cross of Christ with grateful hearts, but most rejected it. That is foolish. Who would want that? Yet to those self-proclaimed intellectuals, Paul quotes 
Isaiah 29 here. And he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. There in Isaiah 29, God was speaking to the people of Jerusalem. Those people in Jerusalem, they talked a lot about God, but they still kept turning away from him. Out in the open, they worshipped God, but then they carried on in their wickedness behind closed doors. They thought they were so clever that they could just continue sinning against God and, and he wouldn't notice. So God told them there in Isaiah 29, I'm going to destroy your wisdom. I'm going to frustrate your intelligence. I will crush you, carry you away. You will vanish. You will be removed. You think you're so smart. You think you're so clever. I will do away with you. And then Paul continues, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Where was Socrates with his critical questioning? Or Plato with his ideal republic? Where was Aristotle with his logic and his rhetoric? Or Hippocrates with his medical advancements? Or Archimedes with his discoveries in engineering and math and physics? Where were they? Where were the teachers of the law? Those men who knew the scriptures forward and backward, yet they couldn't have been more backward about it. They set up their own rules and traditions and thought that God would measure them by those standards and be satisfied with it. Where were all those philosophers and all the wise people? Along with everyone who thought they were smarter than God, too smart for the suffering of the cross, thought they could be clever and get away with their sin, they perished. That's where they were. They were done away with. And still in our generation, so many people think they are smarter than God. Too clever, too intelligent for God. The brains of our generation, they say, no one deserves death because if someone does terrible things, they're just misunderstood and everyone has a different sense of right or wrong. There are different standards for everyone. It's whatever you want. The learned in religious circles, they imagine that they can set up their own standards for justice and for love and God will measure them by that and God will be satisfied with that. Religious leaders in so many churches say, the cross of Christ, that's great. He gave us a good start, but, but you have to finish that. You have to go beyond that if you really want to be saved. Or leaders in many churches will say, yeah, Jesus paid for your sins at the cross, but that's not enough. Now you have to choose him. Now you have to decide for Christ and accept him. That's your work. Or... Bread is just bread, and wine is just wine. If it doesn't look like anything else, if it doesn't taste like anything else, if it doesn't seem like anything else, how could it be? Jesus' body and blood. The body and blood of the crucified one. It just doesn't make any sense. It, more reasonable our way. 
We think we are so clever. When we can come and listen to the wisdom of the cross, the message of the cross, and then we can go out the rest of the week and carry on in our sins, carry on in our wickedness, and God won't notice. He won't be any the wiser. Or when one preacher of the cross is perhaps not as polished in his presentation or not as profound in his ideas, and even though that preacher brings Christ crucified clearly to God's people, we dismiss him. Not my style, not good enough, not, not smart enough for me. We think we are so clever and so smart, yet one by one, we sinful humans die. We perish. At the cross, God shows what our wisdom leads to. Sufferings and death. And those who continue to be dark in their minds about the cross of Christ, they will end up in darkness forever. Those who think that they can contribute just a part to what Christ did for us at the cross, they will find that they have the full torture of God for all time facing them. Those who think that God doesn't realize when I go out and continue in my sin, they will come to realize they couldn't outsmart God. They will realize the full suffering and the full wrath of God poured out on them on the last day and for all eternity. We cannot outsmart God. So we preach Christ crucified. God is smarter. He is also stronger. The Jews, God's people, they had seen God's strength. Mighty signs, God's mighty hand and outstretched arm for them. There in Egypt, over Pharaoh, the ten plagues, the driving wind at the Red Sea that parted the waters so God's people could walk through on dry ground. The manna and the quail in the desert that fed God's people and sustained them. The walls of Jericho coming tumbling down. The sun standing still in the promised land. The angels God sent to keep those three men in the fiery furnace cool and smelling fresh and to shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel in the den. What strength God had in the signs that he performed for his people. And then when Jesus came, even more signs. Jesus healed so many who were sick, fed the thousands, raised the dead, Jews looked for signs, yet no matter how many signs of strength they saw, they continued to demand more. They looked for strength. Yet then came Christ's cross. So weak, Jesus just hanging there, abused and abandoned, afflicted and exhausted, his clothes stripped and divided, Jesus' bones could be counted, his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. Could there be a more pitiful sight? This is exactly the sign that Jesus pointed to at the temple. His body destroyed and then three days later rebuilt. Jews demand signs, looking for strength from God. Yet Jesus gave them another sign too, or 
the same sign used in different language, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so Jesus would be in the heart of the earth, buried for three days. Jesus pointed them to the sign of God's ultimate strength, God's ultimate power at the cross. God is stronger. So much stronger than anything you or I could ever do. We couldn't, by our strength, remove one of our sins. But there at the cross, Jesus took away the sins of the world. Every last one of yours and my sins. All of our foolishness. You and I, we could never resist Satan for even one hour. But there at the cross, Jesus disarmed Satan's power. He has no control over us anymore. Even with all of our medical and technological advancements, we couldn't prevent death. We're not strong enough. But at the cross, Jesus ensured that death has lost its sting. He nailed our sin to the cross. The power of death is gone over us. You and I, we could never raise someone from the dead. But by the power of the cross, God takes people who were dead in their sins and transgressions brings them to life again. You and I, by our strength, we could never climb up to heaven, but by the cross, Jesus in his strength reunites us to God. We build churches and schools with beams and bricks and boards, but over time, those things bend and they break. Yet what Jesus built for you at the cross, it is stronger. It happened in the past, and it continues into the present, and it will never, ever be torn down. That's the power of the cross. God is stronger, so we preach Christ crucified. God is so amazing in that he takes the weakest of things, and when he adds himself, it's the most mighty of things. Think about words. Words, there are billions of them written and typed and stored electronically day after day. A dime a dozen they're worth, but when God adds himself to words, God's words, they are powerful to save. Plain water. Yet God adds himself in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that has the strength to reunite us to Christ and to give us everything Christ accomplished for us at the cross buried with Christ, raised with Christ, in your powerful baptism, because God is behind it. Simple bread and wine. How strong could that be? But when God adds himself to it, Jesus' body and blood, by God's powerful word and promises, that forgives our sins and gives us the gift of eternal life. The preaching a sinful man with his weaknesses like Paul and like all of the pastors you've had at St. Paul's. Yet God adds himself to that preaching by his word and that is strong to convert from death to life to keep us in the true faith throughout life and to call us to heaven through death to eternal life. That is power. Humble teachers and parents 
and children and church members. Yet when God adds his power to you by his word, you share Christ crucified with your families and your classrooms and your community. And that's God's power to save through weakness. That's why we preach Christ crucified. We will not be ashamed of it. We will continue in that because God is stronger. They're in Corinth. What a mess they had made of things. Divisions in the congregation, drunkenness and immorality, serving up lawsuits to each other, lovelessness, selfishness, confusion about all kinds of things in Christianity. We know what a mess sin makes of things too. In congregations still today, in families, in the world around us, what can we do? How can we clean this up? We pray about it. We, we offer to help. What will be, we be best? What is the ultimate solution? It's Christ crucified. That is God's power to save. He is stronger. And so we will continue to preach Christ crucified. The cross, such a simple shape. Just two lines that intersect. Yet what really intersects at the cross is God's law and his gospel. There at the cross, God pounded the sin of the world, all of his wrath and condemnation onto Christ. And there at the cross, God protected you and me from all of that so that we might be preserved by his love in Christ forever. Christ crucified involves preaching and communicating these two things, God's law and his gospel. The cross also gives aim. It helps us know what to look for. In the same way as there is a cross in a rifle scope, if we ignore God's law or leave out the gospel or forget about Christ crucified, we have missed the mark and failed miserably. Yet when we proclaim God's law and herald his gospel and preach Christ crucified, we hit the bullseye every time. Jews look for miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. Americans look for experiences. They look for ways to make life as easy as possible or, or ways of building up their own ego. May the Lord always make us expert marksmen so that we set our sights on the cross that is his power God's strength and wisdom he is smarter he is stronger so we we will continue to preach Christ crucified amen please stand And may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We sing the Te Deum.
In the morning, O Lord, I call to you. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Please be seated for the response of prayer of the church. Heavenly Father, you loved the world and gave your Son to free us from sin and death by his obedient death on the cross. Lord of the Church, we thank you for the treasure of the gospel. By your Spirit, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Guard and guide those who carry a cross in the name of Christ and face ridicule and persecution for the sake of the kingdom. Missionaries and chaplains, young people who stand up for what is right in the face of pressure to do what is wrong, and all who pay a high price for their faith and values as Christians. Keep in your care those who carry heavy burdens in life, the sick and the chronically ill, the depressed and the lonely, those torn by conflict and personal relationships, and those victimized by war and injustice. Comfort all who face the terrors of life with a heavy heart. Watch over those who care for others, pastors and counselors, physicians and nurses, social workers and caring friends, all who feed the hungry, Comfort the hurting and stand beside the dying. Holy Spirit, please bless Jennifer Hacker as she considers our call to teach third and fourth grade starting next school year. Be with her family as they transition to the Manitowoc area for her husband's call to MLHS. Give Jennifer wisdom and clarity as to how she will serve the Lord in the years to come. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the physical and spiritual blessings that you have given to Carl Tapel these past 85 years. You have preserved his body and kept him in the true faith. You have given him many opportunities to serve in the community and at our congregation. Watch over his family as they celebrate this milestone and continue to lead him in the years to come. Lord Jesus, you are our great physician. By your wounds, we are healed. Be with Wendy Reinemann through her upcoming surgery. Grant skill and success to the surgeons. According to your will, give her a swift recovery. And above all, give her and her entire family a firm trust in your strength and salvation. Hear us as we pray in silence. Help us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Keep us faithful even to the point of death, that we may receive the crown of life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to this new day. Defend us with your power and grant that this day we neither fall into sin nor run into any kind of danger. And in all we do, direct us to what is right in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Let us praise the Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 